Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. If you know Jesus Christ today is your Lord and Savior, you know the truth of the message in that song. That It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has paid the debt of our sin. And it makes it possible for us to have forgiveness of God. And that's the subject of the message today, how God reconciles sinners. It's on the subject of reconciliation. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be looking today at verses 17 through 21. While you're finding your place, let me remind you of some things that have happened in the history of our world that point us to where we're headed today in this message. Uh, None of us were alive at this time, but if you remember your study of history, you'll know that back in Europe in the years, uh, in the year 19, uh, rather 1347, in the 14th century, Uh, There was a black plague that swept Europe, and there were about 20 million people that died during that that plague that uh, swept across that part of the world. That's estimated to be about one-half, one-third to one-half of the population of Europe died as a result of that plague. And then in the years following that, it lasted for about three years, and after that three-year period... Uh, it continued to crop up from time to time and there'd be more outbreaks of that plague and even more lives were taken during that time. And then finally in the 20th century, someone invented antibiotics and uh, through the medications they were able to see that plague uh, wiped out. And then I think of the influenza outbreak that we've read about in history that happened in 1918 and 1919. Some of you were alive at that time, you may remember that. But it killed between 30 and 50 million people. Several million more died at about the same time in an outbreak of typhus in Eastern Europe. Now, you know we have vaccines today that help us with that. I remember when I was a student in Albert Elementary School here down the street that we had to get uh, certain inoculations every year. And uh, polio was, was beginning to be a problem during the 50s and 60s especially. And it was a crippling disease. And it could even cause death in individuals. And I know of two people that actually died as a result of complications related to polio. And we had to get our polio shots every year. And finally they came out with this little sugar cube that had the polio vaccine in it. Some of you will remember that. And we had to go to the school and uh, get in line and get our sugar cube and take that cube for our polio vaccine. Then we had to get the TB shots. Uh, There was a time when TB was rampant. We had a hospital out here uh, on the same grounds where Druid City Hospital is now. And it was uh, a TB hospital. And and the way they treated it was they, they isolated people that had TB and put them in that hospital. And they began to uh, make sure that people had inoculations, uh, uh, TB inoculations in order to see that disease overcome. Well, there's been other infectious diseases in more recent times. Also, malaria. We have friends who live, who are missionaries in, um, in Indonesia in Papua actually, and uh, they are constantly battling that disease and their family and the people among whom they live and minister to. But malaria, yellow fever, and then even in more recent times in the United States and across the world, we have the epidemic of AIDS. 
And we know that it is an incurable disease. We do not have a vaccine that will cure people from AIDS. And and those diseases I've just mentioned alone have have claimed countless millions of lives. But I want you to know today there is a greater plague that has infected the human race that takes more lives, destroys more lives than any of the, of, of the plagues or diseases that I've mentioned. It is, a, it is a plague that not only affects a person physically, but affects them spiritually, and it affects them for all of eternity. It is 100% fatal, and that is the sin disease, S-I-N. It is the sin virus. It has infected the human race. It has separated us from God. It is a deadly disease and it can cost a person to live in spiritual torment for the rest of their lives, not only on earth, but in all of eternity. It is a plague that causes both spiritual death and eternal death. And it is a plague that is only cured through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. And this is uh, one, of the, one of several passages of Scripture that deals with this subject of reconciliation. Now, if you're uh, new among us or, or new to the Bible and new to biblical terms... The word reconciliation is simply a term, one of several terms used for salvation in the Bible. And it particularly pictures the fact that before salvation, we are separated from God, we are alienated from God, and and we are estranged from God, and we need to be reconciled, we need to be restored in our relationship with God our Creator and our Lord and our King and our Savior. I'll begin reading verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let us pray together. Father, we believe this Word of God that we have read today to be Your Word. It is true. It is convicting. It, Lord, teaches the way that we are to live. It teaches how we can have a right relationship with You. It teaches us about Your holiness and righteousness and about man's sinfulness. And Father, we come today to learn We come to understand, Father, fully what it means to be reconciled to God. And if there are those in this place today who have never experienced reconciliation, have never been restored in a right relationship with you, our Creator, our God, our Lord, and I pray that they would would bow their hearts, Lord, and yield their lives to you and believe on Christ and by faith receive the salvation and the Savior that is offered to us. Father, I pray also for those of us in this place who already know you, who have been reconciled to you, 
Lord, help us to live in a way that reflects that. Help us, God, daily to show forth our Savior. We are messengers of reconciliation. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. And Lord, we are to tell the world the good news that sinners can be forgiven and transformed by the power of God. And we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. In this passage of Scripture, we see several things about reconciliation. The word reconciliation or some version or form of that word is found five times in three of these verses. In verses 18, 19, and 20, we see over and over the word reconciliation or reconciling or be reconciled. A form of that word that describes salvation is given five times in just three short verses. I want you to see several things about reconciliation. And the first is this, that reconciliation transforms lives. Look in verse 17 again. The Bible says in verse 17 that therefore, now the therefore refers to particularly the two verses preceding it, where Paul is He's been defending himself. In in all of 2 Corinthians, he defends his ministry. He defends his integrity. He has been slandered. He has been maligned. He has been falsely accused. He has has had those who have opposed his ministry and and said that his ministry was not of God and he wouldn't be having all these problems and he'd be put in jail if he was a man of God. And they tried to undermine the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And yet he knew that God... His conscience was clear before God and that he was a man of integrity. He was a man. He did not have ulterior motives as some claimed for his preaching of the gospel and the ministry that he had. He was not trying to take advantage of people. His conscience was clear before God and he was reminded the people that his ministry was one that had been given him by the Lord. And so therefore, he he knows he used to be a man that persecuted the church. He used to be a man who tried to kill Christians and in fact gave consent to stoning of believers. Even Stephen was one of those and Stephen's clothes were laid at the foot of a man named Saul, which was the pre-Christian name given uh, to the Apostle Paul. Before he was saved, he was called Saul of Tarsus. And so... In this passage, he's trying to say, I'm not the same man I used to be. I'm not the same person that used to try to uh, put an end to Christianity and persecuted the church of God and put to death believers. I'm not that same man. And he describes his own life in verse 17 as well as the life of every person who has come into a saving knowledge of Christ by saying this, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, the Apostle Paul being one of those, Those of us in this room who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we also are in in that company of believers. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new, as it says in one's translation. Now let me just stop at that verse and say that when a person is reconciled to God, their life is transformed. When a person becomes a Christian, their life is transformed. The way that we know that we're saved is not because we wrote a date down in our Bible that we made a profession of faith and got baptized. Now that may be the date that we truly were saved. And it's good that we have a date. It's good that we can point back to a time. But if 
But that's not the primary way to know if a person has been born again. The way to know if a person has become a Christian, that a person has been saved from their sin, is that their life is changed. Their life is transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people go through the waters of baptism, oftentimes I say to them, listen, if what you are professing today before other believers is real, if it's true in your life, if you truly have received Jesus in your life, then your life will be different. It will be evidenced by the fruit of a changed life. Now, if you're here today and you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, but your life has never been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, then I would ask you to examine yourself, to examine your heart, to examine yourself to see if you truly are in the faith. You see, reconciliation, the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, that's a term for being a Christian. When you're in Christ, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. If you can just picture in my hand, if I had a, a, a dry sponge and I took that sponge and I grasped it into my fist, and then if I had a bucket of water here and I placed my fist into that, into that bucket of water, that sponge would be in the water but the water would not be in the sponge. But if I released my grip on that sponge and the water could fill all of the, 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 the pores of that, of that sponge, then it would, the water would be in the sponge and the sponge would be in the water. When a person comes to Christ, we are placed into Christ and Christ is placed into us. And here, as in many places in Scripture, it's a term used to refer to a believer. If any man is in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have received this Christ as your Savior and Lord, it says he's a new creature. That means he's a new person. He has a new life. He has a new Lord. He has, the Christian has a new future ahead of us. We have a new purpose for living. We have a new family, the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. We, ha we have a, a new book that's now our, our food for life. It is our source of spiritual food. We have new values. We have new priorities. We have new loves. We have a love for the one who has saved us and lifted us out of the miry clay of sin. We have a love for the one who shed his blood for us on Calvary's cross. If we are born again, we are a new creature. We are a new person. We have a transformed life. And notice it says that the old things passed away. Now that doesn't mean that we don't sin anymore. But it means the person we are without Christ has passed away. For the Apostle Paul, he no longer was a persecutor of the church. He was a leader in the church. He was a preacher of the, of the gospel and of the resurrection of Jesus. He was a teacher of righteousness. He was one who penned uh, 13 books of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was a different person. He took on a new mission. His mission was to make known Christ. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in his writings, is the only uh, one to use this term reconciliation and being reconciled and, and, uh, and being reconciled to God. And so it was a term used especially by the Apostle Paul. His mission was the same mission as the church's mission today, and that is to, to let the world know that there is a way to be forgiven of their sins and be reconciled to God, to be restored in a right relationship with Him. 
I want to ask you today, has your life been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ? Has Christ given you a new heart? You see, He transforms the heart of the sinner. The things that we used to that we used to love, the sin that we used to love, we now hate. The things that we used to despise, the things that, no, that were not a part of our lives that we didn't care about now become precious to us. Spiritual things now are important to us. Fellowship with believers is important to us. Reading and meditating on God's Word and learning how God wants us to live is important to us. Those things change when you become a Christian. I wish I could tell you that you would never sin again once you're saved, but that is not true. But I tell you this, you will not be able to sin and be comfortable in your sin. You will not be able to sin and, and without the chastening of God and the discipline of God in your life, you will not be able to enjoy the sin that you enjoyed before you became a Christian because you cannot walk with God and live in sin. You see, when you're saved, you're transformed. You were a servant of sin, and now you're a servant of righteousness. You were a slave to sin. Now you are a, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. You did yield the members of your body as instruments of sin, and now you yield your bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. You present your body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. I want you to know that reconciliation transforms lives. It transforms the heart of the sinner and it transforms the behavior of a believer once we are saved. And I hope that is true in your life. I hope that you have experienced the transforming power of Jesus Christ. But a second thing we see about reconciliation is that reconciliation is initiated by God. It is initiated by God. Look in verse 18. It says, now all these things are from God. What, what, what things is it talking about? Well, this new birth, this being a new creature and, and all things becoming new and and in uh Verse 14, where it says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. All these things that we have in Christ are from God. Reconciliation is from God. God is the one who initiated reconciliation. You see, man has offended a holy and righteous God by his sin. Our disobedience to God has hurt God. We have sinned against His law and we have sinned against His love. A God who loves us so much. And so God is the one who gives the way that we can be reconciled to Him. You see, the one who is offended can't determine the terms of reconciliation. It is the one who has been offended, been offended that determines the terms of reconciliation. And so all these things, even this reconciliation, this re being restored into a right relationship with God, it is from God. God initiated it, He planned it, and He provided it. And when, when God came, when Adam sinned, God came seeking Adam. And because of our sin, God came seeking us. We didn't go seeking Him. He came seeking us first. And He provided a way for reconciliation. So reconciliation transforms lives. Secondly, it is initiated by God. Thirdly, we see that reconciliation is accomplished by Christ. Look in verse 18, reading onward. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. By the way, twice in this passage, actually three times, the Bible tells us that our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry to help other people come and be reconciled to God. Once we've become reconciled, we help others be reconciled. Again, as I said earlier, it's the mission of the church. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Are you helping people come to know Christ? Are you helping people be reconciled to Christ? Are you helping people to know how they can be forgiven of sin and be rightly restored to God and have eternal life? We are ministers. We have a ministry of reconciliation. So reconciliation, though, as as we look at verse 18, is, is accomplished through Christ. Look what it says in verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ. Now, that's a phrase that affirms the deity of Jesus Christ. God was in Christ. He was fully God and fully man. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, Every per- and that word world there refers to mankind. That he came to reconcile mankind to himself. And he does it one person at a time. We don't get into heaven. We don't get reconciled on the, on the shirt tails or coattails of another person. It is individually. Every person must individually be reconciled to God through a repentant faith that puts our hope and our trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross to be the payment for our sin. So reconciliation is accomplished by Christ. There are verses of Scripture in the Bible that tell us that. Colby has read one of those already from Romans chapter 5. We won't read that one again, but let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse... uh, The Bible says, remember that you were at that time separate from God, from Christ. That means separated from Christ. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That means we were spiritually alienated from God. Mankind, all of us, because of our sin, are spiritually alienated from God before we come to Christ. We have no hope, and we're without God. Verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, remember I said that it's a reconciliation is accomplished by Christ. In Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, meaning far off from God, have been brought near, we have been brought near to God, into a relationship with Him by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. That means Gentiles and Jews alike. That means that salvation is for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for all nationalities. It's for all races of people. It's not just for a particular race or particular people. It is for all of mankind. It is for the whole world. And he has made the Jews and Gentiles both into one group. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall that that kept them separated. That he might, verse 16, that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. 
by, by it having put to death the enmity. So it's through the cross, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Reconciliation is accomplished by Christ. Also in, in Colossians 1, the Bible tells us something very similar. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. That means all the fullness of God to dwell in Christ. And through him, meaning through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him. I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Indeed, if you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. So reconciliation is accomplished by Jesus Christ. The only way to be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. It's not through good works. It's not trying to do, do better or be a better person. You must come to faith in Jesus Christ who alone died that reconciliation can be accomplished. It is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that forgiveness of sin comes. Going back to our original passage, notice that it says in verse 19 where it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What a wonderful phrase of Scripture. And it's re-emphasized in other parts of the Bible. God does not count our trespasses against us when we come to place our faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. He wipes our slate clean. He makes us a new person. We are completely forgiven of all of our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. Amen? Aren't you so glad that God does not count our trespasses against us? He could have condemned all of us to hell immediately and annihilated us and just wiped us out off this earth. But he provided a way that we can be reconciled to him. He loved us that much. Reconciliation is accomplished by Jesus Christ. But let's quickly look at the next. In verse 20, reconciliation is received by faith. Reconciliation is received by faith. In verse 20 it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Now just note again, this is the third time it said that we've been given the ministry of re reconciliation. And, and then the next verse said we have been given the word of reconciliation. Now it says in verse 20, we're ambassadors for Christ. That means we represent, we're not citizens of, of this earth, we're citizens of heaven. And we are strangers, we are pilgrims, we are temporary dwellers in this earth and our mission is to represent God to people so that they can be reconciled to God. He says, therefore we are ambassadors to Christ as though God were entreating through us and I believe there are people in this room today that God is entreating you to come to Christ and he's using this feeble pastor and speaker to communicate the truth of, of a word of God that's not feeble. It is strong. And this word of God tells us how we can have a right relationship with God. He says it is though God were entreating through us. And he's entreating you. Someone here today, I believe God is entreating you. He's begging you. He's pleading with you to come to faith in Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God. He says we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation 
The word faith is not used there, by the way, but there's a call for response. You see that in that verse. He says, we beg you to be reconciled to God. Well, how, how do you get reconciled to God? You place your faith in Jesus Christ, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. And the Bible says that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Him. Are you willing to believe today that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that He died as a substitute for you? And are you willing to cast yourself upon Him in faith and receive Him into your life? Are you willing to repent of your sin, your way of sin? Have you, have you, are you willing to confess to God that your sin is an offense to Him and you know that you need to be reconciled to God? Today is a day of salvation, the Bible says. Re- reconciliation is received by faith And then also in verse 21, we see that reconciliation grants us righteousness. Look what it says. He, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin. That's why we know it's talking about Jesus, because Jesus knew no sin. He was the perfect Son of God. He was perfectly God the Son. He was God. He was the second person of the Trinity. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen, this is how, salvation, how reconciliation is accomplished. Our, right, our sin is placed on Christ on the cross. And you say, well, I wasn't born when Jesus died on the cross, but neither was I. None of us were. But you see, God provided Jesus a Savior at a point in history. And He was a Savior for those who had gone before and those who had come after And God knew that one day you would be born and that you would be a sinner just like everyone else from Adam on. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. He knew that you would sin again against God's law and His love and you would need a Savior. And so He provided a way that we could have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He bore our sin on the cross. He was a substitute for us. And then... We receive His righteousness. This is an exchange that goes on when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. God treats Jesus on that cross as if He had committed your sin and my sin. He was punished on that cross as if He were a sinner. Where it says here that He who knew no sin, uh, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. It doesn't mean Jesus became a sinner. It means that he was treated as if he were a sinner and as, and as if he were the worst of sinners because he took the sin of the whole world, the weight of our sin was placed upon him. And when we come to Jesus Christ, God treats us as if we lived the perfect, righteous life of Jesus Christ. That's how he receives us. He accepts us in the beloved. We are accepted by God in Christ Jesus Those of us who were separated from Him are brought into a relationship with Him. We are are friends with God. I am a friend of God. We sang that earlier. God makes it possible for someone who is an enemy, and we all are enemies of God in our lost state of, of being, in our lost state, in our lost condition. We are enemies of God, but when we're saved, we become a friend of God. He reconciles us into a relationship with Him. Reconciliation grants us righteousness, perfect righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is imputed to us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And our sin is taken out of the way 
and was nailed to the cross. As it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your heart or your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions and having concealed, or rather having canceled, having canceled out the certificate of debt That means the record of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Every sin that we have committed or will commit was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ for everyone who will believe on him through faith. There's a song that we sing sometimes in our hymnal and it's called Jesus, What a Friend of Sinners. Just listen to these words. Jesus What a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He is my Savior, makes me whole. Jesus, what a strength and weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing. He my strength, my victory wins. Jesus, what a help in sorrow. While the billows o'er me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, he my comfort helps my soul. Jesus, what a guide and keeper while the tempest still is high. Storms about me, night o'ertakes me. He, my pilot, hears my cry. Jesus, I do now receive you. More than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. And the chorus goes like this. Hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Savior, Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ? Would you come to him today? Christ through me and through his word is imploring you, is compelling you to come and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've done that already, he's calling you to live for him. Christ died for us that we might live for him and be ministers of reconciliation to take that message to others, to our schoolmates at school, our classmates, to take it to those we work with, to take it to those that are our neighbors, to take it with people that we come across and cross paths with during our daily activities. We are given the ministry of reconciliation so that others can be reconciled to Christ. Father, we now come to this time of invitation today, and I pray that your spirit would speak to hearts all over this room. Lord, if there's a man or a woman or a teenager or an older child in this place today that needs reconciliation with you, which we all do, Father, but, but who needs today, you're calling, you're, you're, you're speaking to a heart, you're tugging at a heart's door, and you're drawing by your spirit, Lord. I pray that you'd give the courage and the boldness to on the very first stanza of the psalm that we're about to sing, that they would come and say, Pastor, I want to have a right relationship with God. I want to experience this forgiveness of all my sins, and I want a Savior who can bring new life to me and transform my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.